Welcome to today's episode of the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Tiffany Haft. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I think I got the name right this time. You did. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's great. Let's start off the uh, podcast with a uh, description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Tiffany Haft, and I um, am a a fractional uh, director of operations. I also own a business management agency. And really, uh, we joke that we're who you hire before you hire. When you know you're you've been a solopreneur for a hot minute and you're trying to do all the things and you realize you can't grow anymore because you're working too many hours and we kind of come in help strategize systems and then um, have a team of doers to help kind of take you out of the weeds so that you can figure out where you want to go and how you want to scale. So that's kind of what we do. Um, my business has really grown organically. Um, I, I I've been an entrepreneur since I was in my teens just doing a lot of odd jobs here and there and had a corporate job for a hot minute when I started having kids and then really kind of got burnt out because I really focused on, I have four kids and I knew that that was a path I wanted to go down. And so I was like, I don't want to do a regular job anymore because I want to be a mom and that's a focus of mine. And so I did direct sales for about six years. Um, but you know, did all the the things you're supposed to do in direct sales, had was earned all the free vacations, you know, was a 1% earner, had 250 uh, sellers underneath me. And then our company filed bankruptcy and I lost my business overnight. And it was a really hard thing to happen. But I think what came out of it is I realized I had kind of outgrown my direct sales journey. Um, I'd learned a lot and I'd grown a lot and I had skills to do outside of just selling someone else's product. And so that's when I started to, when I kind of went down the path of starting my own business, I wanted to, there were two things that were important to me at that time. I wanted to work an hour and get paid an hour. And I wanted to own something that was mine that nobody could take away from me. And so that's kind of how I got started just, and my business has kind of organically grown and shifted as I've learned and I figured out what I really like to do and honestly, what I don't like to do. Well, self-awareness is very important. And, um, you know, it's interesting about the whole bankruptcy thing, right? Because so many times that, uh, like I have done it, I had gone bankrupt in my past as well. But too many times, you know, we're told like, ooh, you don't want to do that because you don't want to go bankrupt. They make us sound like bankruptcy is worse than death. And you know what? I don't regret bankrupt. I regret not putting money in my pocket before I went bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Well, this this company had other issues. You know, it, it was a sinking ship at one point, and all of us were trying to, like, just put band aids on it, and it was not helping. And so we kind of knew it was going to happen, but it was still hard for all of us in that to just lose something we had built. Exactly. That we had no control over. We didn't have control over what was going to happen to that business. Of course. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting bankruptcy. I'm not saying everyone should do it. That's not what I mean. I mean, I had to make light of it. But the reality of it is uh, is that sometimes that happens, mm-hmm. right? It's better that somebody tries something and it doesn't go right than to not try it at all. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a daily decision as an entrepreneur of like, okay, what am I going to try today? That's probably going to fail and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to make today tomorrow better, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bet you that whatever went wrong with that last business, you'll never repeat or you'll do it better. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? So it's a learning lesson. And that's the other thing I personally believe is I don't believe in there's actual failures. I believe that it's all a learning lesson. Mm-hmm. It's only a failure if you don't learn from it and repeat it. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think 
I think that's one of the things, you know, there's a couple of things I talk with a lot of new business owners who they think they have to get everything perfect before they can launch. You know, that's kind of like one of the things going into entrepreneurship. You just have to get out of your head right there. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. You're constantly going to be evolving your business, your services, your pricing, like as you get more confident, like things are going to shift. So just knowing that going into it. And then I think also understanding that at least half of the stuff you try is not going to work. And how how are you going to have the mentality of that going into it of like, hey, I'm just going to try this stuff. And I, I've had this conversation with my my marketing gal on my team. I'm like, look, let's just try some things. Let's post on Pinterest. Let's try over here. Let's try over here. And whatever doesn't work, we'll just say, okay, let's not do that again. And let's focus on the things that are working. And I think so many people who, especially if they're shifting from like a corporate career into entrepreneurship, they think that the systems and all that stuff have to be like set in stone, day one, everything figured out. It's like, it's kind of like parenting. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, like you gotta, you gotta evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Now, wow, I got so many questions that in so many directions I want to go here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you touched upon two points here, right? Like you touched upon the parenting side, which I kind of want to go down on. Yeah. But I also don't want to forget about the uh, business part here that we just talked about. So it's sort of the, let's go down the business route because I'll remember the parenting one. I won't remember the business side. So, <laughs> um, so where I was going to go with this is when you made, when you made the decision to regroup and all that, you built up a team. Like, did you build up a team like right at once? Like when you started just bang, hire all your team or did you start off as that solopreneur and then build out? Yeah, I started by myself because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I was like, what? I was 36 at the time. I was like, what do I want to do when I grow up? You know, <laughs> like all my kids are starting going to be in school in the next couple of years. This is my time. Like I can, I can do something and have the capacity to do it because I don't want babies anymore. Um, and so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I'm like, I'm not going to bring anybody else in until I'm like certain this is, this is like the long haul. So I was by myself for about, well, I was probably about my, by myself for about a year and a half until I brought on an assistant to just help me with like this, you know, the pokey stuff, no CEO or no business owner should really do, you know, that isn't a business development that isn't client work. It's just the schedule management, the email, keeping that clean and kind of like, you know, all of that little stuff, sending proposals and things like that. And then it wasn't until about last summer when I really got um, really con convicted that I wanted to bring on a team and I wanted this to be bigger than just me. I wanted to help more people and I wanted my mission to be just as much about the team as it was about the clients. And that was about last year was when, when I really started to bring on subcontractors and have them do client work. Got it. Got it. I like your trial and error kind of thing, right? Like you're willing to try something, figure it out, get into it, and then, you know, decide what works, what doesn't work. You're also going into the fact that uh, there's certain things that you should not be doing, right? Like, and a lot of times people convince themselves that some of that stuff is important work that they need to be doing. It mm -hmm. has to be them. Mm -hmm. Like prime example, like I'm willing to bet that there's going to be a good chunk of people that are watching or listening to this that wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is check their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And not to say that we don't have moments of that either, but where I'm going with this is that we make busy work seem like important work yeah. and busy work could be, you know, checking through files, checking through emails, checking through whatever, just to see what's going on, checking our social media to see uh, what was uh, done from the night before. And, and really that's all stuff, like you said, that could be delegated. Yeah. And it seemed that you knew how to delegate it right away. So what made you, like, how did you come across this? Like, I mean, because again, when everyone starts, it goes back to what I say, they think that busy work is important work. And you, you knew right off the, well, not right off the bat, but you knew that that was the stuff you have to delegate. 
So how did that come about? I think I just my my journey, I've always known that as if you want to grow a sustainable business, I mean, number one, how many million dollar businesses do you know that are one person? You you have to eventually bring people into the fold because you have to, and this is direct sales. You have to make a process that is duplicatable so that you can grow. And it's the same, that same mentality is in any type of business. Like you can't grow and scale unless what you do is duplicatable to a point where you don't have to physically be doing all of the things. And the other part of that is to who's great at everything. Nobody, right? Nobody is fantastic. Like I'm a decent bookkeeper and I've kept bookkeeping because it doesn't just, I can't justify the cost of hiring a bookkeeper because I can do it in a really short amount of time, but there's social media, there's marketing, there's making the emails. There's all these other things that like, number one, I don't really like to do them. And number two, I'm not really the greatest at them. So let me get someone in that can do that stuff. And I think you're right that a lot of business owners think they can. My mentality is if I can hire somebody that's going to be way less per hour than what I'm going to build, and they're going to get it 80% as good as I can do it, then it needs to be off my plate. And I think the sooner you can get to that point where you're okay delegating, good at leading people, but also setting the expectation of like one of my failures last year was I decided to bring on a ton of very part-time contractors but then I had to manage all those people and it was too many people for me to manage. <laughs> so I like learned the hard way of like, okay, what's my threshold of how many people I can manage at a time. And then if I need to get, bring more people on, I need someone to come in as like an operations person to manage those other people. You know what I mean? It's like, so building that framework of people that can help if the team needs to get bigger, well, then I need someone. So then I brought in an operations director who project manages our retainer clients, because then I don't have to be a part of that. Um, you know, and so it's, it's that duplicate, duplicatable process. So I think the more you can kind of look at your tasks in the day and say, what are the things I suck at? Take me a long time to do are not money makers. Um, and I hate to do, those are the things I need to solve for that. I need to find someone in my business that can do those things. Well said, well said. I, uh, I'm a big delegator as well to the point that at one point I was employed by somebody and, uh, he said, I delegate way too much. <laughs> And, um, and then my thought, I was like, no, I do way too much. <laughs> so polar opposite doing all this, we all have challenges, right? Like nothing, it comes like, like you said, we're not perfect. We're not great at everything, but I find there's always a challenge getting to that level, getting to that point. You know, when we turn something like, why do people, why are, why are they even employees in this world? It's mostly because people are too scared to go out and do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So when someone actually takes the leap and does it, there's always that sense of fear and there's a certain things they come through challenges and they find the challenges and all that. So what was your biggest challenge and struggle and biggest fear when you make the leap? Um, well, I guess I don't really, I never really had fear around the leap because I've, I've been working for myself and doing side businesses since I was 15. So it's just, I've always, always been naturally an entrepreneur. Um, and I think part of it too, is my husband also owns a business. So from a revenue, how much money do I have to make? There was, there wasn't a like, oh my God, ride or die situation of like, we're not going to, you know, we're all going to eat hot dogs for six weeks if I can't make this thing work. So I definitely was in like a different life situation, but also that comes with being older having older kids, like I didn't try to be an entrepreneur when I was like trying to raise, you know, two toddlers and two infants. So, you know, there's some of it of like knowing when is the time to leap, I think is part of it because that I didn't have any fear. It's like, well, I'm going to try this. And at this point I'm like 
joyfully unemployable. Like I could not work for somebody else at this point in my life. Like I will do this till I die or I will pivot it or I will, you know, do other consulting. But like, this is it for me. I'm, I'm not going back to a job. Like it's just not the reality of where I'm at now because I've done this and I've seen how wonderful this can be to be able to not have to, you know, go, abide by someone else's schedule or someone else's rules and kind of make it up as you go. And that's really exciting to me. Um, honestly, so I don't necessarily know the fear is there. I think where the fear comes in is comparison, I think is where my fear comes in of like looking, well, I've been in business for four years, I should be here. Or this person started after me and they're here. Why aren't I there? You know, and, and I think that's where it's hard to set those expectations of like, no, everybody's business is going to look different and how I grow and how, what feels good to me with where I'm at with kids and soup in a lot of activities. So I can only work nine to two because I got to pick the kids up from school and get them all to their activities. I still have my hundred percent parenting role of keeping the house clean and organized. And so if I can only work nine to two, how can I make that be successful for my current situation? And how do I define my success so that I know what I'm to measure myself by? Because then that keeps the fear of what other people saying I should be doing to a minimum. And I can focus on what success looks like for me. And I think that's been my biggest learning journey over the last four years is like me defining my success and then using that to measure where I'm going instead of take, letting all the outside voices tell me and dictate to me what I should be doing. Got it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. you uh, And I love the fact that you measure everything, right? You found a, a point to measure and you do that because I think measuring is very important because uh, if you don't know where you are, how are you going to know if you got there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of vision mapping of like deciding where you want to go and then making a plan or a roadmap to get there. Because if you don't have a plan and you're just flying by the seat of your pants, like number one, how do you even know if you've achieved what you determine as success if you don't have a plan of like where you're going? It's kind of a, you know, we can set goals all day long, but if, if our goals don't align with some other bigger vision, why do we even have the goals? You know, what does that look like? Exactly. Now, what would you say is your ideal customer, right? Because I'm sure it's not everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I probably, you know, $500,000 to 2 million in revenue clients who are, are in some sort of design um, industry. Like uh, we've, I've worked with interior designers, branding and web designers, photographers and videographers, like high quality um, designers who they're ready to not just be a solopreneur anymore. They want a team of other doers. Um, they're ready to scale, but they're still very involved in the day-to-day -day and they're trying to step back up from that. But they also are in that place, like I said before, where they don't have a lot of systems set up and they're like, I can't bring anybody into this mess. <laughs> like they're, or I've even had one client who was like, Tiff, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, my husband could not take my business, sell it. If anything happened, you know, she, something could be done with it. And that was a big fear of hers, you know, and so we addressed that fear. So there's a lot of like, you know, process documentation, getting, figuring out who the, the right people are to bring onto the team, all of those things kind of in that you're ready to scale, but you don't have the things set in place to help you scale. Right. Now, at the same time, just like you know who your ideal customer is, I'm sure you know who your ideal customers are, like who are not your customers. But my question is, have you ever started working with someone and then somewhere through the process, realize this is a wrong fit and you have to make an adjustment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's just kind of the nature <laughs> of, you know, working in this industry is like, you're going to find some people that either personality wise, I think sometimes have not been a great fit. 
Um, I actually work really well with creative entrepreneurs who are kind of like the idea makers and they're all over the place. And they're like, I just need someone to like, help me get organized. Like those are my people. Um, where the type A's who are super structured, kind of micromanagers, they haven't really been my cup of tea because I like working with the creatives. Um, I've also had times where uh, people, you know, there were clients who they didn't know what they wanted. They hadn't figured out who they are, what they sell, what they do, how they set aside them, how they set themselves apart in the marketplace. I can't set up systems for you if you don't know who you are and what you're doing. So it's like, that's where that the $500,000 starting point comes in. Cause when I've worked with smaller clients who are like, you know, they have a side business, they're making 150 grand a year. That's great, but they're not in it. They're not always in it. I mean, I, that's not to say I have had clients that I've started with there and now they're on their track to a million dollars and we've worked with them for years. Um, but it's like, if they don't know those details of who they are, what sets them apart, what they sell and how they're positioning them, their business, it's really hard for me to help them set up systems that are going to work for them and bring in people and scale because they need to get that stuff figured out first. Got it. Yeah. I've got a unique uh, personality. <laughs> and what I mean by that is uh, I tend to, by default, try to be that micromanager, mm -hmm. but I don't want to. So a lot of times my fix for that is that uh, I just tell the person what I want and then I don't want to be involved. And they're like, oh, no, you have to be involved. No, trust me, you don't want me to be involved. I'm good with letting go. Like, I'm either, like, it's one of those things I don't have a middle ground. I'm either, you know, this is what I want. You figure it out. You do it. I don't want to know. Don't show me until it's done. Mm -hmm. Or I'm involved. But if I'm involved. You're like all guns ablazing involved. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then the reason I want to hire a person is so I don't have to be involved. Yeah. So I don't do that. <laughs> right. Like yeah. one of my weaknesses with my business was that I found that um, I felt that whenever I was in the office, it was a toxic spot and I could never figure it out at the beginning. I mean, I used to be outside of the office when I came in and I hear everybody socializing, talking and, I, and you can still see they're working, but I would purposely be behind the door so they didn't know I was there. And I would just listen and I walk into the door and all of a sudden it's pure silence. And it's like, hmm, you know, I usually am a friendly person. I'm going, okay, well, was it something I said? Right? Like, like what did I do? <laughs> right? I couldn't figure it out and all that. And then um, one thing I've learned, like over time, because uh, somebody let me in the loop, mm -hmm. is that uh, they were afraid of me. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But he says, yeah, yeah, they're afraid of you. So when you walk in the room, they're all like, mm. well, apparently I was a micromanager. And that's how I discovered that. Yeah. And um, it was one of those things that uh, I did not know it. I did. And sometimes I can't help it. Um, but I learned from it. Yeah. And now I know that it's a micromanager. I try to work around that. So I try to do it a lot better. And I've, you know, slowly learning to let go. I'm not really all there yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> it's a lot easier to not micromanage when, number one, you have the right person in the right seat. And I think more often than not, especially as entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, when you're hiring, you're like, oh, well, I met this person on Instagram or LinkedIn and they need a job. So I gave them a job. It's like, well, if they're not the right person in the right seat doing the right things, they're not, that's not going to go well. <laughs> you're going to have to micromanage them, you know? So I think making sure you're hiring well and that, that the people you have on your team, like I'm constantly shifting people around on my team because I'll see they have a skill set and I'm like, hey, let's tap more into this. Like, why don't you, why don't you start doing this? Because you're really great at this. So like being like aware of your team and where they're at and shifting them as the needs arise or as like specialties shift a little bit and having them make sure they're in the right seat. I think also making sure you're hiring people that are naturally good communicators, 
who maybe have an air of entrepreneurship. Cause like, if I were to bring in a VA who just spent the last 30 years in corporate, their perspective and their personality is going to be way different than someone who spent the last years in the entrepreneurship world. The, the entrepreneur is going to be able to think a little bit more for me. They're going to need less micromanaging. They're going to need less tasking than someone who just spent 30. And I think just go not to say I'm not going to hire that person, but just going into it, knowing that person's going to need a little bit more tasking, a little bit more time to get onboarded and all that stuff. So it's like kind of thinking through all of those scenarios of how someone might come in to your business. And that's kind of what I've tried to help my clients with, of like thinking through all of those things and like you can hire this person but here are the pitfalls that might happen because of their experience or where they came from or their personality or all of those things. Yeah. See, that's, this is how I got around it. I learned that, uh, I needed an office manager. Like I needed somebody, a second person Yeah. and I hired that second person to run the office. So this way I, and, and it literally became, don't talk to me, talk to them. And I don't mean talk, don't talk to me on a personal level. You can say, hi, I'm not like, I mean, if it's stuff around the office, it was best that he just did it. Yeah. Because I he knew what I wanted and he knew what I was expecting. And he just made it happen and he was better at interacting that way. Um, I used to take those personality tests. I literally tried all of them. And they literally all said the same damn thing. And it was like it was interesting because like that's why I said I got a weird personality here. The appointed said that my the best suited position was CEO. Mm-hmm. Worst position was second in command. Yep. Acceptable position is basically on the worker level or man- and lower management. Like working in a cubicle where you don't talk or interact with anybody all day long. <laughs> like that type of level. Wow. <laughs> no, the way that the thing described it, like the uh, personality thing said, is that uh, CEO is obvious. Let's be obvious. It goes it's sort of like I can be in command, but I cannot be second in command and take orders from the person. Or I could be basically at the bottom worker worker or, you know, lower management and pretty much just know that everybody's my commander in chief and just accept that I'm not in charge. And so I can't be middle uh, or second, right? It's either I'm the worker or on the top. There's no middle, right? Apparently the middle is where I fail at because uh, I I guess that's what it is. Because if I'm a worker, you program me, I go out there and just do whatever the heck you want, right? If you want something done, want it done by five, I'll have it to you by 415. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's either that or my ideas count. And if my ideas count, let's go and do it. And if it, you don't want to do it, then my ideas don't count and don't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really my personality. <laughs> that's awesome. I think the other thing too, like you, you made a comment about expectations. And I think so many, especially because I work with creatives who like, they're not natural leaders. Like it's something they have to learn. And I'm, the amount of times I'm like, well, what are the expectations or what parameters have you set set around this particular task that you say they're not doing? Well, what do you mean? Well, like if you have nothing to, to you know, guide someone or to keep them accountable to like what your expectations are around that task or that duty, well, then of course there's the potential for failure because they don't know what they're supposed to be. You know, it's like they might know the task, but they don't know the parameters of what success or failure looks like within the task. And there's no parameters to keep them accountable to that. So especially if you have full-time employees as a small business, you have to have those in place because there's no other way you can fire somebody unless you have proof that they weren't doing their job. So it's like, it's so important once you start bringing on full-time employees to have those like expectations documented of like, this is what this looks like. And this is how you do this. And this is what's going to happen if you don't abide by that. And I think as creatives and just as people in this design space, that's not something they put stock into. And I think they're missing the boat on that. I think it, it could be. And to your point of being the CEO, 
having those middle managers who understand that can be the ones that hold people accountable. So you can be the CEO, you know, it's like being the fun parent. You can just be the CEO yeah. that gets to like vision map and do all the business development. And then you've got this other person that can be the enforcer for you. Yes. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Like even after I implemented with the office manager, I uh, made a few changes out there because I wanted it to be more of a fun environment. And I had uh, made it so that we didn't open up the office till 3 p.m. on Fridays. And the reason was that on uh, Fridays at lunchtime, I decided that it was going to be a, a company event every single Friday. We'd pick different restaurants to go to. The, I would pick up the tab and we'd all meet there and just have that uh, social outing. And it was every single week. So, and I thought there's no point in coming in at a nine and leaving for 11, then coming back. So I just said, screw it. The office won't open until three, right? Or two, it was two or three. It was one of those. But, uh, <laughs> so I made, I did that on purpose. And, and, and it also made sense because the industry I was in, the only calls we got on Friday wasn't new orders. I was in the marketing business. It wasn't new orders. It was, when will my package get here? What time will it be ready? What time will this happen? And you know what? We've never had anything ready before three. So without telling your customers, you know, man, you're stupid. Why are you calling before three? You've been ordering for, with us in, for the last five years, and we've never had anything before three. So why do you think it will be ready before three today? Right? But you don't say that, obviously. So I said, right, you know what? no point in opening up before three because we're just answering those calls so we might as well we open up at three so when can you come by three o'clock we're open it'll be there <laughs> right it was just simple it, it created two opportunities opportunities that we avoid the nonsense calls of, of obvious things because you don't open to three clearly when do you pick it up 3 p.m and on when uh you know so we didn't have to answer that so we save labor on having people answering those questions. And we got to have a fun corporate event together where it, it lightened up the mood. That's awesome. Yeah. My husband's company does um, putt challenges. They have like a little putting thing in their office and they'll do. And then at the company uh, party every year, it's like the, the winner of the putt challenge for the year gets a prize or whatever. <laughs> so it's always fun to like incorporate those things. You know, one of the downsides, I think, as an entrepreneur that has hires just subcontractors. There's only a handful that are here in this in Minnesota where I'm located. Most everybody else is all over the country. And it's like, I think, you know, if someone asked me actually like a couple weeks ago, what do you miss most about working a corporate job? I'm like, just the community of like being with people, you know, that aren't my kids or my husband, <laughs> you know, like of being with other, you know, people where you can brainstorm and workshop. And I do have a couple clients local, which is nice because like, I'm like, we need to meet in person just so I can like get out of my house and meet with another human being face to face. But I think that's one of the hardest things of kind of being on this uh, online entrepreneurship space. Yeah, I think even with customer, right? Like trust is definitely built with in-person interaction mostly. And I believe there is a certain element uh, of interaction that is required if you want something long-term. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's always the case, but it does definitely add a, a new layer I find that, that that we try so hard to make technology everything, mm -hmm. but the reality is we, we are a people, person kind of animal. We were born and bred to be interacting with each other. Let's be honest. You're not going to be go out there with this statement. Other than reproduction, what benefit and need do we have for the opposite sex? And now that sounds harsh and I'm going to get into the description that's going to make more sense. It's one of those things we can choose to be people. 
But if you notice that most of the time when people are not together, we're always on the scout. Why? Because we were born and bred like just from the beginning of time to be intertwined with each other and connected to each other. And this is how we connect, mm -hmm. right? It's not something that we made up or woke up and say, I decided that I want to have a girlfriend today. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way, right? Like we thrive. Where is the biggest depressions coming from when people feel disconnected? Yeah. And I think even now in 2023, with how things have gone the last few years, like people are even more apt to like want to get out. And I've noticed a huge uptick in like networking events and, you know, in-person business conferences and things like that, because like people are just like, I got to get out. I can't because they were, you know, we were all locked up and whatever for, yeah. for a year. So it's. And there's the proof of what I'm saying, right? Like, that's what I mean by it. We're like, we're wired as human beings. We're wired to be connected. Yeah. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have everybody as a girlfriend or boyfriend. I mean, usually if you're married, you should be with the person you're married to. <laughs> I mean, but there's still what we call friends, right? Like, like it does exist. And why do we need friends? Again, some form of connection. It's just the way it is. So with that being said, that's why events and little retreats and stuff is so important. And that's why meeting with clients is important because you're being connected with each other. You're connecting and showing that there's a care of some sort and it's not just, you know, transactions. Yeah. So I got a weird way of getting to what I was saying, but hey, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think how that relates to business and like success in being a business owner is like making sure you've got really amazing people in your circle. Because if you're trying to do this alone, it, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get tired. It's going to be hard. And if you don't have anybody to talk to about it, to be like, why did I do this? Like, why am I, why am I putting myself through this? I should just go get a job. And they're going to be like, okay, let me give you words of encouragement. Let me remind you of why you didn't want to get a job. If you didn't have, if you had a regular job, you wouldn't be able to deal with having no childcare all summer. And imagine what, you know, what craziness that would have been or whatever. It's like, I think that community is so important you know, really regardless of where you are in your career journey, whether you work a regular job, you have your own business or you're a part of an agency, I think you have to have those people that are going to like speak honestly to you and help get you out of those stinky parts of the business because um, you're definitely going to have the days and preparing for that and having good people in your circle is a win for sure. Absolutely. Now, another change that I noticed out there, and this goes back to my weird personality, and I think, but I think this one applies to everybody and any and, and everything in business or even in life. I think what's happened is, and now here's why things were weird at my office. I have a long-term vision. Everything I think of is about the long-term. So most people go to work and think of what's happening this week. Mm -hmm. I'm already trying to figure out what's happening in 2030. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I can't predict everything, but you know what I mean? I'm working towards where I want to bring the company. So my mind's already over there and I guess that's where I created tension because my expectation is that person, oh, a person says something's wrong. They need a refund. Okay, refund it. What do you bother me for? Like, why are you asking me? Yeah. I'm not dealing with the direct, you know what I mean? But it was that fear of, oh, because they're looking at the repercussions of today. And there was a lot of decision making that I thought didn't need me to be done. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it was in my head. And the way I envision life, that was such a small portion that it was unimportant, mm -hmm. right? Like just make a decision, go with it. Well, what if it's the wrong decision? Then it's the wrong decision. Oh, well, we learned from it. Who cares? Right? But it was like, yeah, but that's $300. Yeah. We got to eight figures a year because we were customer service oriented, yep. not because we worried about $300. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but I mean, again, there's many offices out there. You lost $300. You're fired. Right. And that's the programming they got. 
Now, again, it goes where I'm going with this is, is that expectations that you're talking about. I never overlaid my expectation. I never pretty much put it out there that I was more interested in the customer than I was mm-hmm. about the dollar. So I let people have their assumptions and they dealt with their assumptions, not with where I was. And then that causes strife and miscommunication and everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, and that's where I learned the lesson here that I was trying to get at is that technology has made everything rushed. Mm-hmm. We're all looking for that instant gratification. If we do something and we don't get a result in five minutes, it must have failed. Yep. Reality is that success comes little by little by little over a long period of time. Every overnight success that you've seen, i.e. Gary Vee, mm-hmm. happened 10 years prior. They started 10 years before you called them the overnight success. The only thing is you didn't see them before. Mm-hmm. You see them now and they just appeared out of nowhere, but they were there the whole time. It just took that long to get to you. Yeah. And if more people think long-term and have a long-term plan, they can pivot and adjust as they go. Stop looking for the win today. Start looking for the win overall. Absolutely. I, uh, I like to teach vision mapping and both to my clients and as like a standalone. And every time I teach it, I always talk about, uh, kind of like health as an example. Cause I think this is like the best health, you know, I don't work out or eat right. Or, you know, take care of myself because I want a six pack or any of that. I mean, that would be a great goal to do, to do that. But I think about being my grandmother's going to be 99 this year. Now her brain is not all there, but she's super healthy from body perspective. And I think when I'm 85, 90 years old, I want to be playing on the, on the ground with my grandkids and my great grandkids. And so when I think of like, God, I don't want to get up and work out this morning. Like my husband woke me up at six this morning to go to the gym and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do it. And then I think about that. Oh, I want to be 90 with my kid, with my great grandkids. Like that's the vision that you know, it gives you like goosebumps on your arms to think about that keeps people motivated. It's not, oh, I want a six pack. I want to lose five pounds. Like that's not going to keep me motivated. But thinking about that big vision is going to keep me motivated. And so it's like, I like to do that exercise with every area of my life, my health, my marriage, my my parenting, my business, my finances, and think when I'm 89 years old, what's the legacy I want to leave? And that's my vision that and now I'm going to make goals every year to try to get to that vision. But it's like, you need something that's going to like make you ugly cry when you think about it, when you think about goals and vision, or you're going to lose, lose interest when it gets hard. You're going to lose momentum when it gets hard and it will get hard. Absolutely. I'm sure COVID or like the lockdowns had affected you a bit. So I'm sure there's been some changes from that till now. And as there will be changes going forward, like where do you see yourself going within the next five years? Like, what is your overall objective? Uh, well, my first objective is my kids. I have 11 years still of kids being in school and them being in my house and before I'm an empty nester. And so I've still got some time there. And so it's one of those things like I want, I want to build my business to a point where I can manage it. So still what that looks like, I think is vague because I could manage a really big organization if I had great team members, but it takes time to find those people and to grow that. Or I could keep my business small for the time being while I'm raising my kids and all of that. And so I think I know I know I want the capacity to be smaller right now because my kids take priority. Um, and then really once they're uh, out of the house, you know, then it'll be a new season of reevaluating. Okay, where is my husband at? Is he still at his own? His does he still have his business? Does he want to do something else? Are we going to travel? Do our kids decide? They're going to live all over the country or world. Do I have to 
keep more space to travel and see my grandkids, you know? So it's, I think my goal has never been, I'm not one of those people that's going to work an 80 hour a week. Just never been that person. I want to work 20 to 40 hours a week and really live life. Like I want to work so I can live, not the other way around. And so I know that that's my goal. I just am still figuring out how it's going to manifest itself in the day to day and what the business looks like. Got it. Got it. What is your, well, look, let's break down your typical week now. Like what does your current week look like? Um, well, everybody's home still for the summer because it's only August. I don't know when this will go live, but it's August right now. And we're still got kids home. I had to call in support with my mother-in-law who's retired to come and help because I was like, I can't be on Zooms all day and try to manage four kids. It's just not going to happen. Um, so right now it's pretty much just maintenance of like keeping everybody afloat. Um, but then I start having kids go back to school in the next couple of weeks. And then my normal days, like I work nine to two and then I parent two to 10. Uh, and it's a lot of calls with clients. I do a lot of strategy on processes, systems, having hard conversations, setting your business up for success. And then really, I've been really trying to find amazing team members that can do the implementation piece of it. I'm right now still in a lot of the implementation, but I'm trying to get that off my plate and have my team. So so we've been doing a lot of training, certifications, things like that to get them set up so that they can start taking on um, CRM builds, project management tool builds, um, and some of that stuff. So love that. Now, you brought up the CRM, mm -hmm. which uh, I mean, I'm in the real estate business, and that's something we all talk about. Now, half the people in it think they don't need a CRM. The other half people say they need to see it. Well, not half. There's a good chunk that don't say they don't need it and don't know why they need it. There's a good chunk that say they need it and do nothing about it. Then there's a small percentage that actually use it. Mm -hmm. I always believe that the CRM is important and something that pretty much everybody should have. Mm -hmm. How do you utilize your CRM and why is it important to you? Um, well, I mean, like I said before, you can only manage so much and you can only remember so much. So like the biggest reason why I think a CRM is important is so stuff doesn't fall through the cracks. Like you're losing out on opportunities if you're not using a CRM, because there is no way unless you have like one lead a month, there is no way you're going to remember to follow up, build relationships, send them all the things they need, onboard them well if you're not using some sort of system. Now, do you have to buy the fanciest Salesforce or huge platform? No, there are plenty of like low price or free options to like make some some assembly of a CRM to like manage these people. But if you're talking to, if you're having conversations with people every day, trying to build relationships and potentially bring them in as a client, you have to manage those notes, the dates, the follow-ups, you know, all of that information somewhere because there's, and I will say, if you try to remember all of that, your brain is going to get, you're, you're going to hit burnout real quick. If you try to just keep that all in your head, like you get more freedom and more creativity when you can get all that stuff out of your head. And I will say this too, there's so many people I see who manage their tasks out of their inbox. And I want to just slap them and be like, stop doing that. It's not efficient. It's not good for you. Get your task out of your inbox and use some sort of, I mean, even if you go old school and use a piece of paper, I don't really care, but don't manage them out of your inbox. <laughs> Good answer. Love that. Now, there's going to be a lot of people out there that watch this and are going to be in similar situations that you were or slightly different. And like, here's what I mean. There's going to be some, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. There's going to be some women out there that, uh, you know, maybe they're new moms or they're planning to be, they're in the corporate field, but they don't really want to go back to the work. They want to, you know, start off their own thing. They want to be an entrepreneur and they want to, you know, sort of take the same path, but they're worried or nervous or unsure. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to that person? 
you can you can make a lot more money especially like if you're comparing hourly rates on your own as a freelancer than you can at a corporate job i mean i doubled what i was making as a full-time employee and i'm only working 15 to 20 hours a week and it's like if you have a skill set and you can monetize that skill set especially if you're a doer there are i mean i talk to clients every single day that need good people who are honest get their shit done own the responsibility are good communicators and are willing to pay for it there's so many small businesses that need support need fractional support need part-time support need like consultants to step in and help them that like it's but it's one of those things like if you decide to do it you got to stick with it and just kind of pivot because it takes time to build that book of business but if you've got a got a, a really great skill that you can monetize like why not try it if nothing else to learn you're going to grow as a person you're going to learn a ton about business and and at the end of the day you know i've even talked to people like i've had people on my team they came and worked for me for a year or two and then went back to corporate because their their life situation changed they didn't have newborns anymore it was easier for them to go back to corporate or they decided they needed more consistent money and they were willing to work a 40-hour work week to get that they needed health benefits and all of that stuff so even just trying it for a short stint is going to help guide you in like really what do you want and i think people are afraid to just take the leap for whatever for whatever reason, but if you take it as a learning opportunity and as a challenge to grow, it can be a really fun kind of excursion and change up, um, especially as a new mom. Like I've been able to keep my business afloat with children and I've helped some of my clients even take maternity leaves and keep their businesses going while they were on maternity leave. So there's definitely opportunities to, to kind of build the business that works for you instead of, you know, waking up and having to go punch a time clock and work on someone else's schedule every day. Well said. So in light of time, I'm going to get down to the last couple of questions before I get into what I call the lightning round. Second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? Um, <laughs> nobody's crying. <laughs> including me, <laughs> which I have a seven-year-old who's like the baby of the family is always crying. But um, I think for me, success is really about like, did I help someone today? Like, did I help someone have that light bulb moment where they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and I always ask my clients at the end of our calls, was this helpful? Like, how did I help you? Because I need that. Like, that's such a like words of affirmation thing. Like I need that. Cause then at the end of the day, I can look back and be like, I help this person do this and I help this person do this. And like, to me, that's super, that to me, that's how I've been measuring success is like, does my revenue look like is amazing? No, but look at the people that I've helped over the years and look at where their businesses come from when we started to now and look at the strides they've made. And to me, that is how I've measured success. Amazing. All right. Last question before the lightning round, but not least is if anyone sees this and wants to reach out to you, where would they go? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram, uh, Tiff Haft, at Tiff Haft, and at Fierce Decorum is the agency name. So either way, you can get a hold of me. Fantastic. That's awesome. All right. Let's get into what I call the lightning round, which is just a short few questions that are uh, just more personal and fun. Okay. So I'm ready. <laughs> question number one is going to be, what is your favorite food and why? Oh, my favorite food. So I have celiac. So there's a lot of favorite foods I can't eat, which is very sad. Interesting. Um, I, probably potato chips. I love like a good salt and vinegar potato chip mm, or like a dill. Yeah, those are my favorite. Oh, I, I, those, that's my uh, flavor as well. I love uh, salt and vinegar. I shouldn't have it. I mean, <laughs> especially considering I'm on medical pills for salt. I mean, I really shouldn't have it. They're but so good I though. They're so no. good. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Favorite travel vacation spot? Um, let's see. Well, I'm originally from Rhode Island. And so going back home, we usually go every two or three years is always a highlight. There's a place uh, where the Block Island Ferry leaves called uh, Point Judith or the Galilee. And I used to go there when I was a kid. My dad had a beach house there. And there's this restaurant called George's and you can get strawberry daiquiris and fried clam cakes, which I can't eat anymore, but I get raw oysters instead. And um, it's like my favorite place of all. You can watch the lobster boats come in and out. You can go pick your lobster and take them home alive and then, you know, grill them up at the house or whatever. But it's just, it's like my favorite place. Awesome. All right. Favorite book or podcast? and or podcast um well i've got a bunch i've got a bunch right here i would say um profit first is a method i like my clients to follow when they're uh for their their money woes if they're trying to budget and plan for their business and also um getting things done by david allen is a great uh productivity book if like that's kind of your jam of like how to just get things done and be productive it's it's a great practical book and teaching you tips and tools so i'd say those are i mean i have so many i'm i'm an avid reader avid audiobook listener because I drive my kids around so much. I'm always got a book on. I'm listening to 10X is easier than 2X right now, which is great. So I I could have an entire like 40 book list of my favorites, John Maxwell, like all the <laughs> things, but they're sitting right here. So I'm going to say that they're they uh, pretty good ones to start with. Got it. Got it. I, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I usually read between 24 to 48 books a year. The David Allen one I've read. The profit first, I heard about it, but I never read it. Awesome. All right. Last question. And I think it's the mo it's an interesting question. If you were given unlimited amount of money, but you got 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? I would take my, my kids on a, a historical trip somewhere like Jerusalem. I don't know, like somewhere I, I, I'm more willing to invest in experiences that you're going to remember forever than any tangible item. So we would definitely go somewhere. Fantastic. That's a great answer. And I find that to be a common thing. Very few people. Um, uh, and to be honest, I think I've only come close to getting monetary answers, like, you know, like pay off my mortgage buy whatever it's hardly ever that it's usually, you know, based around experiences, which is amazing. And I agree with it because that's the one thing that you'll never lose. Yeah. Awesome. Tiffany, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. It's been fantastic. Well, thanks, John, for having me. I appreciate it. This was great. Awesome. It's been a pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thank you for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show.